here we have John talking. We're going to meet John the Baptist here. And it says in in verse 19, Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That verse... I read it and reread it, and it's still so it's so interesting the way it's written. And they asked him, "Well, what then? Are you Elijah?" He said, "I am not." Are you the prophet? And he answered, "No." Then they said to him, "Well, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself?" And then John's reply, and we'll get to that in a moment. So here's the testimony of John and the Jews come and they were part of the the Pharisee sect and and they're probably religious leaders, not just individual Jews. Um, From the writing here, they're probably leaders being really sent from the the, the main leaders of of the synagogue say, we need to go check out who John is. Go find out who he says about himself. And so they come and they question him. He says, who are you? And then verse 20 he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they said, well, are you Elijah, the prophet? And he says in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. See, John was out there and he had a following going on. There was people following him and it was and it was growing and people were coming out for baptism. Now, you know, baptism, the Jews, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they were familiar with the ritual washings. And being immersed or, or being baptized the way we understand it was not unfamiliar to the people at the time, but it wasn't a Christian baptism. They, it, was, it was really more of, of a ritual washing. And they, these were established in the book of Exodus, uh, uh, chapter uh, 30, uh, um, Leviticus chapter 17, where they were prescribed certain washings for clean, cleanliness and, and um, of purification. And so they would even do immersion washing in what they would call living water. So some of, the, some of the purification rites were done in either a river or a stream, or they had this, this big basin that they would use. It was called a mikvah, and they would have water flowing in and out because certain purification things needed living water, waters that, that moved. And so John is out doing something that was very uh, understood and connected to the Jewish worship and purification rites, and he is baptizing them is the word we use, but there he's, he's doing it. So, so this wasn't strange to them, but what was strange is that John's not a priest. The priests were the one who were supposed to perform these rites and these rituals and these things. And so John is out there and he's got a following and he's performing some Levitical acts. Now, this could go to your head. I mean, you, you, you go out to do something and next thing you have a huge crowd following you, a crowd big enough that the Sanhedrin was concerned. The leaders were concerned because it was getting big. This wasn't two or three people coming out to be purified, to be baptized by John, because they'd go, that's okay, you know, whatever. 
But it was big enough that it got their attention and they said, we need to find out who this is. Now, do we really know if there was any sincerity in the, in the, the hearts of those who were asking the question, who are you? I don't know. But the answer was, well, are you the Christ? The Messiah would have a following and he could do all of these things. And John said, he confessed and didn't deny. You know what? There's something in our flesh. There's something that could rise up in one of us and say, this is my chance. All I have to do is say yes. And I'll have a following. He could have walked into a role that wasn't his for glory. But he didn't deny, no. I am not the Christ. Well, according to tradition, if he's not a Levite, who else could be performing these? Well, if he was Elijah, of course, he could be doing these things. If he was the prophet, and all of it was no. John instead didn't answer them with who he, he was. He kept saying, I am not, I am not, I am not. And then he just simply pointed to Jesus. I'm the one, the voice crying in the wilderness makes straight the way for the Lord. He's performing this ablution, this, this ritual cleansing, purification, dedication, and they're concerned. And he points to Jesus. And they said, well, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ? See, here, that's, the, that's the line in there. He says, wait a second. I don't know if you've ever gone slow enough. He says, why are you baptizing then? You don't have permission to do this. This isn't your job. Why are you doing it? I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you don't know. And it's he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Slaves were the ones who undid sandal straps. Slaves. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. Here he's got a following. People are looking to John. And John says, you know, I'm not even worthy to undo the sandal strap of the one who's really coming. I'm just pointing the way to him. In the verse, the next part... Verse 29. And there's been a lot of debate, and I believe the Scriptures really have, have made it clear. There's a lot of people who say, do you think John, John, I mean, he was Jesus' cousin. Do you think he knew that Jesus was the Messiah? And the Bible's pretty clear here. We're going to find out. No, he didn't. Not until now. He knew him, but he didn't know that he was the Messiah. He probably thought he was kind of weird. But he didn't know he was the Messiah. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we go, well, see, he recognized him. But read on, it says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. John had a call separate from Jesus. He didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah, but God had a call on John to go and, and baptize. Now, now John's baptism was for repentance. Repentance for them wasn't about Jesus because it wasn't there yet. Repentance was to come back to the understanding of the Mosaic law. 
He was purifying, dedicating them, saying, come back and walk truly after God. Don't be led astray with just with all of the other things, but come back to the heart of the Mosaic law of, of God, not getting lost in some of the things that were happening in, in the temple. And then it says, And John, John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize God with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What, what, an, what a crazy thing. John's grown up his whole life with Jesus. He's baptizing, waiting, waiting for the Messiah to show up. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. And John goes, you? I didn't know him until God revealed him to me. And this is he, Jesus, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He cleanses, purifies us, immerses us. The word baptism in the Greek is, is, means to fill up like a ladle. They would use the word to dye a garment. If they were going to dip a garment in dye, they would fully immerse. And he says, Jesus, this is he who's going to come and fully immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And so the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And his disciples begin to follow Jesus. John doesn't exalt himself. He points to Jesus. He's telling the people, come back to God. The Messiah shows up and he immediately points to Jesus. Points to Jesus. Even with his authority that's beginning to rise up where people are coming to him, he is nothing compared to Jesus. He's not even worthy to be a slave. And now John says something that's a picture for us. And he says, look, behold the Lamb of God. They're familiar with lambs. We've read the Bible enough. We know that in the Old Testament, there's a lot of lambs. They're being killed left and right. And they're, they're used for free will offerings and sin offerings, atonement. Their, word for, their, their lambs were being slayed for many things. And so Jesus, or John is already declaring, listen, here's a lamb. Here's a lamb which is setting up already that Jesus came to be sacrificed. But he didn't say he's just a lamb. They sacrifice lambs all the time. If I had an offering to make, I would take my own lamb and I would bring it to the temple and then they would sacrifice it on my behalf for me because it was my lamb. If I had a sin, I would have to get a lamb without blemish and bring it to the temple and they would sacrifice the lamb I brought as a sin offering for me. And that lamb needed to be pure and spotless, but it was my lamb. John says, behold the lamb of God. Jesus is God's lamb, the perfect lamb. He's going to offer his own lamb to fulfill his own requirements that sin needs to be atoned for. And it's going to be a perfect atoning. There's a, there's a connection here. Maybe you've already thought about it. Abraham bringing his son to the hill, Isaac to the hill, to sacrifice him. And Abraham tells Isaac, God will provide a sacrifice. See, Abraham went to go sacrifice what was his own, and instead God provided the sacrifice. 
So John is recognizing this. It's a pro- prophetic. It's a prophetic moment. He says, "This is the Lamb of God. God is providing this Lamb as a sacrifice for us." But but they didn't even know what that meant at the moment. So many things would be revealed through the life of Jesus that the lights would finally come on after the crucifixion. So this is the the beginning setup of the book of John. The first chapter of John is we're seeing Jesus and we're seeing John the Baptist. Now we get introduced. We've seen the Jews. We've seen John the Baptist, Jesus. Now we begin to get introduced to some other people. And it says, The two disciples heard him speak. Verse 37, they followed. And Jesus turned and seeing them following, he says, What do you seek? And they said, Teacher, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, Come and see. One of the two who heard John speak was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The other one is unnamed. It's assumed that the other one probably was actually John the Apostle. It's probably John and Andrew. They name An- he names Andrew. They, ca- they don't always name themselves in that moment. And Andrew, they identify as being Simon Peter's brother. Why? Because Simon Peter was a little becomes a lot more popular. People know Simon Peter. Andrew, not as much. So as, as John is writing this, he says it was Andrew, it was Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, translated the Christ. And he brought him, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And from my understanding, the, 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 word, the name Simon really means like Sandy. Not sturdy, not stable. You're not stable, but you will be a rock. And, and one thing we learn about Simon Peter is he is not sturdy. Simon Peter is reckless. He's impetuous. We see him all the time doing crazy things, cutting off ears and rushing in and speaking things before he thinks. But Jesus prophesies ahead of time saying, no, you, you'll be a rock. Some of you are or were Peters. Or I should say you were Simons. And God wants to change you into be a, a Peter, a rock, Petra. We find and we meet a few other people here in just a moment in verse 43. It says, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. So Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip then found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus finds Philip, and Philip goes and finds Nathanael and says, Come along. Now Nathanael's response is interesting. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. I wish we had inflection. I wish we really understood what he said. Nazareth was, was not a, a big place and that's not, where the, that's not where the Christ was supposed to come. But I question, if, is, is there something deeper? 
Does he, is he a little cynical? I don't know. But I almost hear that. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, whatever. He's a Jew. He knows the Messiah is coming. Is there something in his life? Jesus' response here, and this is just me, this is just, just as I was studying this out, is really interesting because Nathaniel said to him, or I'm sorry, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. What does that mean? And this picture that I, that I got, and I'm not saying it's from God, but we have his answer. You know, he's, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And was there something in his heart that when he walked up to Jesus, Jesus said something, true Israelite, in, in whom there is no deceit. Maybe there was some deceit. And his words, Jesus' words, penetrated and began to, to pick at something. I don't know. But his words were interesting. It changed. It challenged him in that short dialogue. And Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And again, in the way I'm, I'm reading, and this is just the way I'm reading, I'm not saying this is how it goes. He goes, yeah, what do you know about me? Can you relate with that one? What do you know about me? And Jesus said, I saw you before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. And if, if, if it's going down at all like, like it was in my, my mind here, this is the breaking part. And finally he says, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Teacher, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And and I almost, I almost picture Jesus here in verse 50 kind of almost chuckling going, because I said I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? That's it? That's all it took? You're going to see way more than this. You're going to see way more than this. You're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know, people respond to Jesus in, in so many different ways and we even see a few of them right here. You know, we see John the Baptist who is waiting for the Messiah according to the Scriptures here doesn't know it's Jesus but he's ahead. He's expecting something. He's, he's waiting for something good and his whole life is dedicated to serving God and bringing people to God and he's got a heart that's open and ready. We see some respond to Jesus, like Andrew and, and, and really Philip. They respond similarly. They, they see him. They, it's enough. The testimony of John and they follow Jesus. But they don't just follow him. They each grab somebody and says, come here. I got to bring you to someone. It reminds me of a woman a little bit later in the book of John that we're going to get to know. And I, I really look forward, I, I look forward to so many of these chapters. But chapter 4 of John, when, when Jesus goes through Samaria, the disciples aren't with him, and he go, with him and he goes to the well. And he encounters the Samaritan woman. And we know the story. She, she was shacking up with another guy, had been married multiple times. And Jesus has an encounter with her. 
And she's really standoffish. Maybe like Nathaniel here. She's like, well, she's having a dialogue with Jesus. I don't think she even wants to know the truth. We'll get there in a, in a, in a couple months probably. <laughs> Chapter 4. But she's having this dialogue. And I, she, she doesn't even want to know the truth. But Jesus just keeps coming back at her, bringing it closer to home, bringing it closer to home until finally her heart is open. And then she runs to town and says, come with me. I want to bring you to a man who told me everything there ever was to know about me. That Jesus didn't do that. But her heart was opened up and she said, I don't know, I, I don't know anything about him, but you've got to see. Come and see. This is Andrew. This is Philip. That's the Samaritan woman. You know what? I don't have the answers. But something is different about this guy And you need to check it out, too. Who are you? Who are you, specifically right now? Are you in this story? Are you John the Baptist? Are you just busy about the things of God with your heart ready to receive whatever He calls you to do? As the saying goes, you're on G waiting for O. It's a great place to be. Even when we don't know where... uh, John the Baptist is showing us, listen, I don't know everything, but as soon as I see the spear descending, then I'll know. But I'm ready. And I'm not even just waiting. I am working. Everyone I come in contact with, I'm helping them to draw closer to God. I don't have my specific vision because John's vision was where his mission was to begin to proclaim that Jesus was coming. But once Jesus came, his mission was actually to do what he just did. He did it immediately. Here, take my disciples. My work is done. Are we, John, ready to do anything Jesus calls, including saying, My job here is done. The next person takes over. Give it all to Jesus. Are we like the Jews, the the next group of people that we met? And, And again, I don't know if any of them had right hearts or not, if they all came out trying to find a reason maybe to arrest John. They do it later. They arrest John. John stands up and finally does the right thing, says the right things that they can arrest him, where he finally gets beheaded. But I think they were skeptical. And those, they had these questions. Well, who are you? What's going on? And I don't know if those questions even came from an open heart. Only they know that. But there's people in here who have those same questions and they don't want the answer. It's just another question. Another thing to keep you safe from having to really make a decision for God. Well, what about all the starving people in Africa. If God is a God of love, why doesn't He do anything about that? Well, what about the fossil record? What are you going to say about that? I can't believe in God because of that. What about and They just keep bringing these questions up and the real thing is is because I just don't want God in my life right now. And it comes back to be personal. I don't want to know the truth. Andrew and Philip, they're similar. They were quick to receive an answer. Even if they don't have all the answers and they don't fully understand. Something in them says, 
okay. And they, they go and they take that hope to other people. That's the come and see. I don't have the answers, but come with me. You know, Sally, I can see how much pain you're in. And I don't have any answers for you. But I know someone who does. God can touch you in a way that my words never can. Would it be okay if we prayed together? Instead of finding the answer in ourselves, it's come to Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't have anything to offer you. And I'm not going to try to convince you. Notice that they didn't try to convince. They just says, just, just go to God. You know, it's a guy, one guy going to another, one girl going to another. You know, we get together, a few of us every week, and we help each other find God. And I, I don't have many answers. There's some guys in the group that have more answers than me. I probably have more questions than answers. But one thing I know is when I get together with them, I find God. And Rich, you need God. You need answers. Come and see. Come and see. Of course, Peter... Somebody else in this group. We talked about him. Impetuous, reckless Peter. He gets rebuked. He does silly things. But you know what Peter keeps doing? Coming back. He keeps coming back. See, he, he probably could have just felt bad enough about himself after all the dumb things he did. To go, you know, I just, I'm not going to be in that group anymore. But God keeps calling him back and he keeps coming. And it took a few years for him until he was the rock. We read, we read about the new Peter in the book of Acts. Changed. And one of the, the, the biggest change happens when he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible teaches us that, that John... Luke chapter 1 says that John was filled with the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist, from his mother's womb. Lives get really changed when they allow the Holy Spirit to come in and empower them. So we have Peter, and then we have Nathaniel. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? He was in Israel. He knew about God. He, he had... Definite knowledge and where he was, we're not sure. And he knew that the Messiah would come, day, come someday, but he did seem skeptical in there. But Jesus answered his questions. Who are you? Where are you at today? You know, as wonderful as wherever you're at today, next week can be different. Peter was one way, but he stuck it out and his life has changed. Andrew and Philip, they, they learned a lot more and they grew. But I'm pretty sure that some of the Jews that came to ask him the questions, I'm pretty sure that not all of them came. They didn't want to say yes to Jesus. They didn't want it. So this morning we need to take that inventory and say, who am I? Where do I fit in in this? What will your response to be this week, Today? Because Jesus is presented to us each and every day. And how will we respond? And try it on our own? Walk away? Keep coming up with the reasons that we can't follow Him all the way? Or will we say, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to follow you.
And I'm going to bring the people around me to help follow you too. Because I tried this life on my own and I don't, I don't have the answers and I can't do it on my own. And even if you're Peter, and I've met some Peters, God's got grace for you. And he's going to say, it's okay. It's okay. Let's kill him. Father, this morning, we need you. Each of us, individually, we need you. And you saw each of us under the fig tree. You know what we need, and I pray that you would reach out to everyone the way only you can this morning. And I pray that our hearts would be softened to you, opened up, become ready and pliable to do whatever you would ask us to do. For some of us, it's just to trust you and begin to follow you. For others, there might be a a different call. One that would take even more trust and dedication. Lord, I pray that wherever each of us are today, that you would meet with us. To say yes to you and to turn away from our own ideas, thoughts, fears. And begin to grow in you as you meet our needs. Father, we cannot do this on our own. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and power. Because your word says that that's what you came to do. You would be the one who would baptize. Fill us now with strength. Show us who you are. Show us your hope. God, I pray that this year, beginning today, if it hasn't already begun, is a year of new beginnings. Trusting in you, letting old things pass away, let today be the day of even literal salvation. For anyone in this room who's never called upon you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that this is the day that they would say, Lord Jesus, You are the Christ, the Messiah, my God, my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Live in me and cause me to be a new creation and give me the strength to follow you wholeheartedly. And let today be that day of salvation for them. As they pray a prayer like that in their heart right now. Lead us one step closer to you, each and every one of us, each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.